the idea of the shadow. And we hear that a lot more these days, this idea of the sh our shadows. And that's simply the parts of ourselves that are considered undesirable by society or families or anyone, any environments we've been in in our lives that say, well, this part of you is unacceptable. So say for a lot of women, um, and maybe at some point in their lives, it was unacceptable to be loud or to be assertive. So, uh, or, and for some men, it was considered undesirable to be sensitive or, or intuitive. Welcome to this Sage Warrior Woman episode of the Sage Warrior Gentleman podcast, where we explore the soft skills that are becoming more and more apparent as positive leadership traits in today's world. In these candid discussions with women in many diverse roles and in various stages of life, we learn about intuition, perception, and the struggles still faced by them every day. Now is the time to listen and understand from strong women with great lessons to teach us all. And in this episode of the Sage Warrior Woman podcast, I'll be speaking to Mary Hoyt Kearns. Mary is the founder and president of Your Stellar Self, LLC, an intuitive coach, author, Reiki master teacher, and retreat leader with a passion for working with people of all ages to support their mind, body, and spirit wellness. Mary has a PhD in developmental psychology from Fordham University and has studied a variety of healing modalities with world-renowned experts. Her new book, Lessons from a Reluctant Healer, on learning to listen to that still small voice within to better bring your gifts to the world, is available now on Amazon. Please join me now for this insightful discussion with Dr. Mary Kearns. All right. So, Mary, thank you very much for joining me tonight. This is Dr. Mary Kearns with me today on this episode of the Sage Warrior Gentleman podcast, which, as you know, I've started pivoting towards the Sage Warrior Woman podcast. So, Mary, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I really appreciate having you here with me. Yeah, well, thank you, Jeff, for inviting me, and I look forward to our conversation. Yeah, as I do, too. I do, too. Yeah, 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 exactly. So um, like we do with every other podcast, and as, as we said before, we might veer a little bit differently here because I want to talk about your book. I definitely want to, uh, you know, allow you to give a good plug for your book, and I'll be putting a link to your book on Amazon in the show notes, but I definitely want you to talk about that. So first, let's just start off and uh, let's tell everybody who you are. What do you do? Okay. So I am an intuitive coach, an energy healer, yoga teacher, and author. So I offer workshops, coaching, one-on-one um, -on -one energy sessions, as well as some group ones. And um, I also write, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. So in, in doing that, you know, we like to talk about how what you do affects the people around you, right? Because we all know that everything goes out. Energy is non-local. As, as Reiki master teachers, you and I both know that energy is non-local and that things we do tend to spider web out into the world a little bit. So let's talk about how what you do you think affects the people around you or out into the world. Well, a lot of the immediate feedback I get from people who take my classes or that I work with one-on-one -on -one is that they find a sense of calm and, um, and sort of a centeredness and sense of peace that they didn't have before. 
And that obviously echoes out around them to people they interact with. So um, if they're professionals, that means their colleagues will benefit from their more calm demeanors. Um, families, family members also benefit. So there is that tangible direct effect. But as you said, there's also that energy when we create um, a sense of calm or a more centered energy field within us, we do radiate that out um, to the people in our immediate circles, but that also goes out into the world. Um, the HeartMath Institute has actually done uh, studies on that, measuring the electromagnetic energy of the earth as it relates to human emotion. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I won't go into the mechanics of it right now, but there is scientific evidence that, um, that our heart energy, the electromagnetic energy coming from our hearts, which is a our moods by our stress levels or, or lack of stress that go out into the world and affects our planet and everything on it. So we have the immediate tangible effects within our social networks and that this broader effect in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. So in, in the different things that you do, do you, are, are, are one of those things something that you tend to identify with more strongly than the other things that you do? Well, I'd say underlying everything that I do, as I've come to realize over the years, is just being a healer, that that's my role in the world, and it manifests in different ways. Um, and that can be as simple as just smiling at someone to um, make them feel seen or listening to someone makes them feel heard, or it could be something more um, direct like energy healing. And I also feel that through my workshops and other teachings and coaching, I'm also helping people to learn how to heal themselves. Yeah. How long are your workshops? They're generally two hours. It depends on the workshop. Mm -hmm. um, recently, I uh, presented at a, a weekend conference. And over the course of the weekend, I did about four hours or four and a half hours worth of teaching. Wow. But it depends on the format. So, so somebody at some sort of a conference asked you to come and do a workshop? Uh, yes. Yeah, it's the Friends Conference on Religion and Psychology, which is a 78-year-old um, conference. It was actually started during World War II wow. um, by a bunch of Quakers in Pennsylvania who, I guess, they had discussed what was going on in the world with Carl Jung. They were, these um, women were Jungian analysts and they wanted to know, they were all trying to figure out what they could do because the world was a mess. There was a lot of suffering and people were out, you know, in, on the ground trying to help out people in war-torn areas and doing other kinds of social justice work. But they um, came to the conclusion that we also needed to do inner work to help affect the world around us. And I'm a big proponent of that idea. So, um, yeah, so this conference is in its 78th year and it was virtual for the second time in a row. Mm. They had a couple of fabulous plenary speakers who talked about this idea of um, kind of mental alchemy, taking, taking the, the stress and tragedy and grief of the year of COVID and um, integrating that and creating some growth, personal growth out of it that you could then take out into the world to help make it better. Mental I feel like we're all alchemy. going. Yeah. 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 That's very cool. That's a, that's a really neat concept. And 
All right. Well, let's let let's stay on that for just a second. What else can you tell us about mental alchemy? What's your take on it? Well, Carl Jung's one of his besides alchemy, one of his big um, concepts. And I, I'm not an expert by any means. Any preferences for that? I'm okay. still learning. I've always I've been a fan for a long time. But anyway, so. Um, the idea of the shadow, and we hear that a lot more these days, this idea of the sh- our shadows, and that's simply the parts of ourselves that are considered undesirable by society or our families or uh, anyone, any environments we've been in in our lives that say, well, this part of you is unacceptable. So say for a lot of women, um, and maybe at some point in their lives, it was unacceptable to be loud or to be assertive. So uh, or And for some men, it was considered undesirable to be sensitive or, or intuitive. Yeah. So we take those parts that people are, are like, no, 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 you, you can't do that. And we tuck them away. And um, that becomes a shadow. The parts of ourselves that we don't acknowledge or sometimes forget even exist. And when we have those things... Um, that we don't acknowledge about ourselves, they can come out in unproductive ways. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I always say, (laughs) you often can tell what any particular politicians um, not facing in themselves, because that's the thing they rail against out in the world that they criticize in other people in a big way. So the things that we um, deny about ourselves, we express them in some way. And unless we are conscious about acknowledging it, it can, can be very disruptive, can be dangerous yeah. for the world. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So alchemy, I think alchemy is learning how to address our shadows, how to address our grief, how to address the parts of ourselves that aren't pretty, um, shine light on them uh, so that we can then accept them or, or work with them, whatever we need to do. And out of that, we, we experience incredible personal growth. And when we do that, that helps everyone around us. Sure it does. Sure it does. Let's talk about family a little bit. What does family mean to you? Mm, well, I'm an only child uh, with a very small extended family and they're kind of spread all out. So I've always kind of made family where I found it. I have um, some long-time family friends who I consider family and they consider me family. And we've been there for each other in good times and bad. Um, family to me is anyone, anyone that I encounter and spend time with where we have mutual support and respect and, and an affinity for caring about one another. And generally I, I'm drawn to people who are, are like-minded they don't have to, we don't have to agree on everything. That's, right. um, to me, family is more about um, having the same basic underlying values. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then how do you take those, your feelings and thoughts about family and move those out a little bit further to community? What does community mean to you? Uh, I guess community to me has also been, yeah, like an extension of that definition of family. People mm-hmm. who are like-minded have something in common that, that keeps us um, together. I, I think the most productive um, communities obviously are the ones that have positive values that are trying to do something good for the world or trying to um, 
at least start with self-improvement. So um, the communities that I've found most supportive and enjoyable to be part of are people who are maybe spiritual seekers or um, when my kids were a little Montessori school that we were in, a lot of uh, the parents all had the common goal of wanting to raise children who um, cared about the environment and were world citizens. So as long as there's some kind of underlying positive value that we all are striving for, um, to me, that's, that's the basis of a healthy community and one that I would want to be part of. Yeah. Yeah. So do you feel that, that, um, you know, we, we all kind of have the, these two d different identities. We have our family identities and we have our business identities. Do you feel that there's a way that your family and business identities blend together? Yeah. Over the years, I've made an effort to, to live my values in everything I do so that there isn't this distinction. There is not, there's not more than one persona in that way that, um, that everything I choose to do work-wise is in alignment with who I am. You know, um, and uh, they like with a lot of the workshops and things, my family members will come to whichever ones that they're, they're able to, whatever their schedules allow, um, because we do have common values in that way in terms of the things that we enjoy doing and learning and growing in. Um, so yeah, so the work, especially over the past four years, I've focused more and more on the kind of healing and holistic aspects of my work. Um, mm -hmm. I don't see a, a distinction between that home me and out in the world me. Yeah. Okay. Um, you live in Falls Church right now, right? Falls Church. And if you've got any upcoming workshops, let's make sure that you get me that info so that we can put those in the show notes for you as well. So that any, anybody local can, uh, can look you up if they want to see about workshops. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. okay. So really, really simple question now. What makes you happy? <laughs> so many things make me happy. <laughs> Good. All right. Tell us um, about a couple. <laughs> Uh, well, my, being around my family makes me happy. Um, being near the water, the salt water, smelling the air and feeling that sort of briny feeling, um, being out in nature, um, eating delicious food. That was something that uh, I really loved about being in the New York area, that just the food was incredible. Oh, and, yeah. and it's gotten much better in the D.C. area since I've lived here. So that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Um, and the other, the other day I was teaching family. I teach family yoga on Saturday mornings, and it's cool. very fun and very silly. <laughs> uh -huh. And uh, we do, I, I do like little short segments. And one of the segments is, I call dance party and for four minutes we just dance I put on some kind of upbeat music and the parents and the kids and I all just freestyle dance that's and cool. um, everybody's in a good mood after that that's very cool and is that at a yoga studio there in Falls Church right now it's virtually been virtually for the last year oh, oh okay well yeah that's true I you know what I to me we've come back out of this so fast that I forget that there are still things that are being done virtually. I mean, I run a meetup and we're still doing the meetup virtually. 
but still there are things that, that to me in my mind are already happening live. <laughs> so I just tend to just gloss right over that and keep on going, you know? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah that, and some things are. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. I have a friend who's been doing some virtual yoga classes for a little while now. Um, Cool. All right. So you know what? Uh, we're going we're gonna to veer from the questions for just a minute because I want to dive into your book. Your book is really, really fascinating. And I just like poured through it. I'm like, I'm like, all right, this, this, would this be good to talk about tonight? Would this be good to talk about tonight? So I've got a couple things pulled up here. And if it's okay with you, I'm going to, I'm going to pull this up on my iPad here really quickly. Because here's a really cool one that I got, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read this passage, and then I want to talk just a tiny little bit about this passage because because to me it kind of points to the way you and I met and how this happened, and this kind of synergy in in the way we've kind of done things in life. I mean, you've you've taken it much much further than I have in a lot of things. And it's what you do as a living. And I do these things kind of on the side and I do them because they make me feel good and I help people every once in a while do them. So here's here's the passage. At the end of the class, I overheard her talking to someone about her work. She mentioned that she had a podcast and that she had just interviewed an amazing psychic in Atlanta. Is the woman you just interviewed very tall with blonde hair? I asked. Yes, Aurora replied. Is her name Leah Morgan? I asked. Yeah, it's Leah. I went on to explain how I had recently met Leah. That moment was another brilliant example of how everything is connected. Since then, Aurora has interviewed me for her podcast, Blood, Moon, Milk, during which we spent time talking about synchronicity. Now, I just... I just love that because I'm reading this and I'm like, and I'm like, okay, she's been interviewed for a podcast that has three names in it, Blood, Moon, Milk, and mine is Sage Warrior Woman. <laughs> and now I'm getting to, to interview this, this fascinating person here. So, um, and the synchronicity part of it, is there anything you want to say about that or mention about that part in the book? Well, I'd have to say that, um, over time, as I've gotten to align who I am with what I do, my home self with my outer self, that I've been able to see more synchronicities. So the, the more I align myself with who I, I truly am, which is a process, <laughs> sure. it's been a process to learn who I truly am, sure. the more these synchronicities appear and the more I'm able to see them. And um, Jung's came up with that phrase, synchronicity. The term just means that when stuff that's going on inside you aligns with coincidences outside of you, where, um, where objective happenings coincide with things you're thinking about. Yeah. And, they, um, and it's just a, a proof that, that this idea of there being an in your head and out there in the world as two separate things is kind of a, a myth <laughs> that mm. everything is energy. Our thoughts are energy, and actually, quantum physics has shown that that you know the exact the um, right. the act of the observer affects that which is observed, and so synchronicity is that in action in our worlds, mm -hmm. and we can call things coincidences. But when things like that happen, um, it's uh, I think a sign that 
that things are aligning in the way they're supposed to, things are flowing the way they're supposed to. And, um, and when we were able to see that for what it is, we're able to take advantage of, of opportunities that we might not have noticed before. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there are several people talking, I've been talking about that a lot. Joe Dispenza has a really cool thing now on Gaia um, about that. And, and it's stuff that, you know, Dr. Bruce Lipton has been doing for a long time. He's been talking about that kind of stuff. So let's, let's see here. Which, which way do I want to go now? Which way do I want to go now? Um, oh, one more thing about the book that I thought was just really cool. How you mentioned the Celestine prophecy. And the book, right, that came out a while back, and quite a few of us read the book, and then the movie came out. I just, I just saw the movie again like a couple of weeks ago. So when I read you talking about it again, I was like, okay, these things that just keep going through here. And the second time around watching the movie, I thought, man, it wasn't nearly as good as the book. But then you get into the 12th Insight which I have yet to read. Did you, you and, and you read the whole thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. What, what did you get out of reading the 12th insight? You know, I'm, I'm ashamed to say, I don't remember the details, um, but I believe that what I, the, my main takeaway was that what I was reading about kind of manifested in my life around that time. It takes place in Sedona and, um, happened to met someone through someone I met. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, this is a little convoluted. But anyway, it 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 just was kind of um it ended up being a synchronicity that uh, in reading the book that confirmed that I needed to make a connection with someone um, who came into my life that time. Yeah, that's very cool. That was very inarticulate. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all right. That was kind of it was kind of a curveball I threw at you too. But I just yeah, I, I wanted to mention that as well because it's just it's 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 neat reading through your book and seeing all these seeing all these little vignettes and this and this way that you became a reluctant healer, right? And just this path through it and so many different things that you talk about in this book. I look at these things in my life and I'm like, yeah, wow, that kind of happened to me that way too, you know? So let's talk about choices and decision-making. We're all faced at times with these, with these tough choices. So how do you tend to make those, those tough choices and make decisions that you hope are the decisions in the right direction? Well, and ideally, I weigh and balance all the factors because I am kind of an analytic person on the one hand, mm-hmm. uh, but I always also take time to sit with it, you know, either meditate on it or just sleep on, on the decision to try to get at that deeper knowing. The, the most effective way to make big decisions like that are to to draw from your, your experience, your knowledge, you know, your cognitive, <laughs> cognitive stuff, as well as from the deeper knowledge that's held in your body. Mm-hmm. Like, um, they say to listen to your gut and that I, I learned in grad school that our, our guts actually contain millions of neurons, very similar to the ones in our brains. They're just nonverbal, but we do store memory and we store knowledge in our gut. So um, as long as we have healthy guts, <laughs> we can get answers from that if we listen. 
So I think the combination of the two. Yeah, and when, when I, I found that too, um, learning to listen to that, that intuition, which you can call it, um, learning how to discern different sensations in my body, fear versus anticipation, because mm -hmm. they can feel similar. And I found that when I, when I act on fear rather than um, really sitting and listening, okay, what is my body actually telling me? Um, then I don't always make the right decision. But if I'm, if I get calm and still and really listen to what's going on and again, weigh that with the facts, that's, that's what I find to be the most effective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. So how does creativity play into your life? Well, I've always loved creating art and music and writing. Um, it's, it's always been a part of me. I was in special art as a kid, meaning I got to skip regular classes and go learn more advanced art techniques. And those were, um, it was a lot of fun. And I, I was um, a violinist when I was a child. Mm. So I loved anything having to do with music. And as I grew, I did all, I always got involved in music choruses or learning guitar, various things. Um, and I still paint. That's one of my paintings behind That's me. That's one of yours. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I also use creativity to um, kind of get out of my head. I find that when I need some time to, to think things over, uh, besides sitting in actual meditation, it's also really helpful to just paint or draw, um, see what comes out, thing, mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe um, bake sometimes. Yeah, mm -hmm. anything where I'm getting out of my head and into that space. I think creativity allows you to get into that in-between space uh, between sort of the material world and the world of imagination. In a, mm. in a really beautiful way. Mm. All right. So this in between world. So this creativity can open up, can open up parts of your brain that, I guess, in ways, tend to make you a little bit less analytical, right? So it's this balancing act of some sort, maybe. Um, I'd say it just opens opens up opens up your vision as to what's possible. And I'm, I'm thinking of studies done a while ago by this couple that used to um, consult for Sesame Street. They, they're psychologists at Yale, the singers. And they did a lot of studies on the, the relationship between imagination and uh, moral development in young children. And I think a big part of creativity and imagination, doing anything in the creative arts, is it gets us outside of our little selves and helps us to see a much bigger space than, than our, our ego self. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I know I have to continue to do it to keep, me, to keep myself sane. I, I mean, there are a lot of times when I can be working on a really difficult problem completely non-related, but I'll just, I'll just go in and start playing with colors or I'll open up my iPad and I have, I have a program on there that I used to use um, when I was doing, when I was building websites and doing stuff with colors and, and with textiles and whatever. And I just start making color palettes 
somehow or another that takes me away from that, that needing to know the answer to whatever that problem was right away, just takes me away from it for a little bit. And, and the colors somehow or another do something in my mind as well. And then I go back and generally I can solve the problem a little bit faster that way. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. When I, when I was writing my book and I would get to a point where I was kind of stuck I would just start playing around with graphic design, like an Adobe Illustrator or something, right. <laughs> just because I can spend hours doing that and the time just flows um, and I get relaxed and it, it um, yeah, it helps me get unstuck. Mm -hmm. Another mm -hmm. good, good use of creativity. Yeah. Okay. So the name of the podcast is Sage Warrior Woman. So what events in your life do you feel? have contributed to you being more of a sage? Um, definitely becoming a mother. <laughs> mm -hmm. Children teach you so much about the world. Um, they, they open your eyes to a whole different way of seeing. Um, yeah, from the very beginning, my children, just um, from the moment they could express themselves. <laughs> yeah. um, that helped me to see the world through their eyes and um, definitely the deaths of my parents at different times, deaths of other people close to me. Um, you know, September 11th, um, 2020. Yeah. <laughs> there's, yeah. And thinking back, I, there's some joyous things, but, oh, and my divorce to my first husband. Um, these, these are markers of sort of the ending of one one version of me and an opportunity to create a new one or to evolve into a new one. So I'd say those were the big shock point learning period <laughs> where, where I was kind of forced into some seeing myself in a different way, seeing the world in a different way. And it wasn't always comfortable, but in the end um, were, were huge opportunities for growth. Yeah. So then how do you relate to a warrior mentality? Um, so my second grade teacher, who's still a dear friend, <laughs> so she remembers when I was in kindergarten, um, my kindergarten teacher would trust me to be a messenger from her class to the second grade class. She said the first time I came into her class, I appeared at the door and put my hands on my hips <laughs> and announced I was there. Very Wonder Woman. <laughs> so I, I think that from the beginning, I always felt very assured in who I was and uh, independent, sometimes to a fault. <laughs> um, but also, I always would stand up for what I felt was right or for people that I felt were being picked on. Um, so those aspects of the warrior. Um, I, I'm a pacifist, so the, the violent aspects of a warrior I don't identify with, but yeah. um, changing systems or speaking up against injustices or defending animals, the planet, people are definitely parts of the warrior sure persona that I have. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So we're getting down towards the end now a little bit. So we're going to talk about 
soft skills for a little bit, right? Because soft skills are becoming a very big thing. I can't pick up any business magazine right now and not read at least something about soft skills or, you know, a lot of people blogging about it. And I thought it'd be cool to start talking about it on, on this podcast now as well. And so, you know, we have this, we have this list of things and, Right before we started, we decided that I would pull a medicine card. And which medicine card did I pull but the swan? And what is the swan but grace? And grace is one of the words, one of the soft skill words that I had in my mind, which I thought was a pretty cool thing, right? About the swan and about grace. It says in, this, in the book on the medicine card, Swan, the power of woman entering sacred space, Touching future yet to come, bringing eternal grace. So when I think about soft skills, and I'm having to be coached on this just a little bit. So the very first lady that I interviewed here um, is, a, is a lady that I've known since we were like five years old. And she and I reconnected, Charlene Kingston, she and I reconnected a few years ago. She lives out in Scottsdale. Um, I was out on business once and saw her. And so she and I have, she and I have, have connected in a lot of different ways. And we're kind of, we're kind of coaches for each other. Sometimes, you know, when, when things come up, she'll call me and she'll say, Hey, what do you think about this? Same thing with her. When I decided I wanted to do this pivot to start interviewing women for this as well, I called her and I said, you got to help me through this. I want to make sure that I get this the right way and that I have the right context for it. I don't want it. I don't want to speak to women like I would speak to men because we're a lot more linear. Women aren't like that. So I want to make sure that I'm, that I'm leaving space and I'm leaving room for women to really say what they feel and believe in this. So I had a list that I had for men and she said, some of those are just a little bit too masculine. Think about words like this. So the words I have now here, and let's see if you relate to any of these, in that long-winded way that I just went through to explain this all, <laughs> these words are compassion, contribution, selflessness, empathy, and grace. Do any of those resonate with you? No, oh, they all resonate with me. Um, and it, it, it's really interesting that they're being called soft skills and psychology and anthropology used to be called the soft sciences as if they're somehow less concrete or meaningful or helpful. So that's just my first, my first thought. Mm -hmm. um, I think all of those characteristics um, are, are essential to being a good human being. <laughs> yeah that we, we all need that. Um, right now, we're in a world that's become increasingly um, divided and contentious and the opposite of all those things. And, um, yep. and it's not healthy for any of us. Um, when If, if you thought, think about what the world would be like if everyone approached their work and approached other people with those characteristics, it would be such a different place. Um, it would be a nice place for everyone. Mm -hmm. and so to me, it's, it, I think it's essential. And I, it would be nice if that kind of, those things were taught in school. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that was one thing about the Montessori education that, that was built into the curriculum, these um, values. Mm-hmm. And the idea of being to create well-rounded human beings who are not just great at math um, or English, but also um, humanity. <laughs> do you um, think that? Do you think that those are things that people can learn a little bit later on in life? Because, I, I, I mean, honestly, this stuff hasn't been talked about a lot. I mean, you know, my myself as a as a UX strategist and researcher and designer, empathy is a huge part of what we do because we're talking to people all the time to try to find out what their pains are and anything that they might be doing. And, and it's such a listening skill, but still it's hard for some people to do it. I've, I've, I've trained a lot of people in doing this and I've had people come to me and say, man, that's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. I've never had to listen like that before. I had no idea what empathy was before. So, so do you think that people can learn stuff like that later on in life? I think most people can, um, but you know, there are individual differences in brain structure and all that. So people have different capacity, but everyone has some capacity to learn anything um, throughout their lives. The brain is infinitely plastic. So we continue to develop throughout our lifetime. Um, and yeah, I, I think from what you were just saying, people were saying they haven't thought of it before though. So, if they hadn't thought of it before or haven't had to be in a situation where these skills are used, then of course they wouldn't have them necessarily, but it doesn't mean that they can't once they're aware of it. Yeah. But yeah, um, the whole field of positive psychology is about helping to train people um, in, in these skills of empathy, listening, kindness, compassion. Yeah. yeah. So I, I believe, I think, I think humanity has hope. <laughs> I think so too. I think so too. So two more questions and then we are done for this episode. If you were to mentor a younger person, where do you think you're, well, you're a coach. So this, this, this might actually be a really, really easy question for you. But if you were, if you were to mentor somebody, what do you think you would be strongest in as a mentor for someone? What I've found is, um, I think I'm good at showing people their strengths, helping people to see what they're just naturally good at, things they might not have necessarily seen in themselves or that maybe the world has convinced them they're not good at, mm-hmm. but just helping them to uncover those those things, those innate gifts. Mm-hmm. Just show them, yeah, show them their individual beauty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. So the final question I ask everybody is this, is there anything else you'd like to say? Like it's going back to this idea of these soft skills that I think this is a really, really critical time to be talking about this and getting everyone on board about discussing these things and teaching them because we're at a critical juncture in, in human history and things are not going well, as we all know, with the, with the climate, with politically, worldwide. Um, but there are also a lot of amazing things happening at this time. A lot of um, 
people stepping up to the plate and trying to make the world a better place for everyone. So especially a lot of younger people, they just start coming into the world born ready to help. <laughs> so um, I think if we can all, if we, if we can all begin to cultivate these characteristics in ourselves, we can make a difference. And I think at their, at their heart, in our hearts, all of us just want to be happy. Um, every person wants to be happy and live a good life. And um, if we can just see that, that in each other, that we're all essentially the same and we all have that yeah. same desire that the world could be a great place. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that that's something I learned very strongly in all the travels I've done because I've been all around the world. And, you know, to your point there, everybody just wants to be happy. And while there are some nuances in the way people live and the way they, they do things, everybody wants essentially the same thing. They want to be loved. They, 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 they like being nurtured in things. And yeah, everybody just wants to be happy. So yeah, that's very cool. So we're going to close out this way. I am going to give another mention of your book. So Mary's book available on Amazon, and I will be putting the link in the show notes is lessons from a reluctant healer on learning to listen to the still small voice within to better bring your gifts to the world. And that's by Mary H a Kern. So Mary, thank you so much for spending some time with me. This has been such an honor for me to, to interview you and get to talk to you and get to know you and, and, and to bring you out to the world in, in a way that, that, that I've found that I can do it, even though it's small right now, I, it's, it's fantastic. So thank you very, very much. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And thank you for doing what you do. You're helping to make the world a better place. Cool. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So thanks for joining us for this episode of the Sage Warrior Gentleman podcast. And remember that you can join us and get a free guide over at sagewarriorgentleman.com. We'd love to have you join our conversation and please help us spread the word if you feel this could help someone you know and care about.